the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. I feel very lucky and very privileged and honored to be working with Salem Entertainment, Salem Group, um, to be on this air chair microphone to get some thoughts and ideas out to you. My mission and my goal every day is to try to get a nugget or two out there for you to start thinking about for financial ideas and issues. I'm pro you getting to retirement. I may not even like you. I tend not to like people. Um, it's pretty interesting So my psychological profile on education was I don't like working in groups. Um, didn't have patience for it. Now, my goal is to show you things like Adidas because you could understand that. And to get you to retirement, I want you to do things that you understand instead of taking big chances. Nike is a stock I own. I'm wearing Nike shoes right now. When I got to California 20-plus years ago, I thought I was going to be wearing flip-flops and board shorts to work. I know you're saying, aren't you on TV? Yes. I wanted to wear flip-flops and board shorts on TV. I'd be the financial dude. Yeah, man. That role's already been taken. And Matthew McConaughey could play me in the movies. All right, all right, all right. So Adidas is banking on pop icon Beyonce. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. I don't know that many Beyonce songs. She's just not in my catalog, per se. But Adidas versus Nike. Nike's got LeBron. Nike's got Jordan. Adidas has Beyonce. Iconic in her own way, but not a sport icon. Or is she? She's got a new activewear collection called the Adidas X Ivy Park Activewear. And if we learned anything, people like activewear. Lulu Lemon figured out a way of selling black yoga pants for $800 that make you look good. Because $800 yoga pants should make you look good, right? Well, Lulu Lemon kind of gave the corporate look to workout clothes. Athleisure. Beyonce, I would say the Ivy Park activewear collection. Not really competing with Lululemon. Um, you've seen companies like Banana, uh, no, not Banana Republic, Gap, have a offshoot athleta, athleisure wear. So it's a big category of clothes. I used to say, and you people are too sensitive. I used to say, I can't wait to get old so I could wear a tracksuit. It, it just, it's a sign that I've given up on putting on jeans, right? So there's, there's categories that we grow into, and there's categories that we understand. I think a lot of rap music probably brought back the tracksuit for a younger crowd. 
and maybe brought athleisure back into a, a different push. But Beyonce's Ivy Park collection originally rolled out in 2016 with Topshop. The singer pulled the line after sexual harassment claims were filed against Sir Philip Green, the owner of the product. So she took full control of Ivy Park brand by purchasing back shares from him later that year. I I don't know if this is ever going to happen, but I have to assume. You know, colleges have some of those classes that you're like, ooh, that sounds interesting, but I don't know if it's going to get me far in life. But the business of Beyonce, I would take that class. Queen Bay, one of the most recognizable celebrities on the planet, has 133 million social media followers on Instagram. All she has to do is, is say, look at the shoes I'm wearing, and they will sell. Because 133 million people are like, like they want to be marketed to. So Adidas and Beyonce, are they a big threat to Nike? I won't lose sleep on it tonight, but I will start thinking about it. And again, it's good that it doesn't have to be a winner-take-all kind of game. Uh, Adidas, also known as Adida. Uh, I can't even pronounce their city that they're located in. You'd also say Under Armour and Puma, Nike, all kind of competitors. And I used to be fascinated by Under Armour because I thought they were going to compete with Nike. But they just couldn't. In the end, they couldn't. So the German sportswear company, also known as Adidas, sells shoes and apparel, equipment. You know them from the three-stripe logo. And I think on a lot of levels, they're kind of like the anti-Nike, which has its own little cachet. Um, we keep talking about brand loyalty and I'm loyal to Nike cause I don't have, I've got size 14 feet and I like to run or jog and that's not a good combination. I got like boats. <laughs> if I was on the Titanic, let's just say Leo could have crawled into one of my shoes and floated away. He didn't have to die. Adidas sells Adidas and Reebok branded products through more than 2,500 stores as well as a franchise network. Founder Adi Dassler, brother of Puma creator Rudy, began making shoes in Germany in the early 1920s. Now, that has movie written all over it. Two brothers who ultimately fall in love with the same girl, and she leaves. Both of them, because they were fighting. One creates Puma, one creates Adidas. And she goes off and marries Nike. I I, I should write that movie. If we're going to do the movies that we're doing... Why not? What was the Porsche movie this year? Porsche versus Mustang or something like that? I know. I I just botched that totally. But uh, Adidas is interesting. Now, staying in light corporate news, but staying with Instagram, like I just talked to you about Beyonce having 130 million people. It is going to become part of Wall Street research in the near future to say how many influencers does a company have? If you look at a company like... Epic and Tencent, who are owners of Battle Royale, big-time Fortnite, they enable influencers to play the game early, to get skins created that look like them. Tyler Ninja Blevins just got his own skin for a video game, which is pretty cool. But he also has millions and millions of people that he could say, hey, this new version of the game is even better than the older version of the game. And if I'm going to invest in a company like Tencent, I want to know how many influencers they have in their back pocket and how many they can you know, push their product, because it's for real. Let me give you one more quick example. Burger King tweeted out this morning, or yesterday, 
that they have a job for Prince Harry if he wants it. They go, at Harry, this royal family offers part-time positions. It's kind of cute, right? And again, it's totally taken advantage of this whole situation. But you're talking about millions and millions and millions of people just saw that. And now millions of people might say, oh, I heard about that Impossible Whopper. I want to try that. Or maybe the Impossible Whopper hitting the value meal, where you can get like two for $6 or something like that. I'm not quite sure the pricing. Don't quote me on that. But the value meal appeals different than the marketing that goes to the plant-based lovers, which goes differently than the royal family. And it's all about uh, touches. In the financial planning world, if you listen to a radio show, go to a seminar, you're very likely to become a client because you've already invested time listening and you made the commitment to go. So marketing is about touches and do not underestimate influencers and corporate, how, how should we say, accessibility to influencers going forward. I'll tell you, a Super Bowl commercial has a lot less uh, power than, say, a Tyler Ninja Blevins. If he gets out there and says, hey, everyone drink Coca-Cola today while playing Fortnite, I'll give you a shout-out. Just saying. Birds of Prey, next game to be featured on Fortnite, in my opinion. Next movie. Again, all about the eyeballs and marketing. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of my favorite credit cards that I've talked about in the past just announced that they're raising the fee on the credit card. It's the Chase Sapphire Reserve. $450 a year goes to $550 a year. That's got a lot of people on the chatter forums on Reddit robbling, not happy. Is it a good deal or not still? It depends on, one, if you eat out at restaurants often, if you travel, hotels. If that starts to be your profile, then it's starting to look a little more attractive. Now, again, there's better hotel cards, but this is a travel card that includes hotels, flights, and restaurants. I consider it kind of a lifestyle card. I'm embarrassed at how little cooking I do when I was so good at it until things got so convenient. So the $550 fee will get you 10 points, 10 times points on lift rides through March 2022. Three-time points on travel worldwide. Immediately after earning your $300 annual travel credit, three times points on dining at restaurants worldwide. One-time points on all other point of sales. So I don't use it for groceries. I don't use it for... You get the idea. Gas. That's um, one card I don't have is a good gas card. And I should, because I still drive. But the value of the Chase Sapphire Reserve benefits... Um, annual travel credit, three hundred dollars. So three five fifty becomes two fifty. The priority pass select membership, four hundred twenty nine dollars. The global entry or TSA pre check credit up to one hundred dollars. The Lyft Pink membership, two hundred thirty nine dollars value. DoorDash they give you sixty dollars free credit in twenty twenty and sixty dollars credit in twenty twenty one. So the total value adds up to about thirteen hundred maybe $1,400. Now, Lyft Pink, I've been using Uber. Just I've, I've Some years I lean towards Lyft, some years I lean towards Uber. 
and it's for no particular reason. But now Lyft and Uber are starting to come out with, uh, and I Uber and Lyft not in my hometown, but when I travel to see my mother or family vacations, things like that. Lyft is committed to improving people's lives, so they say. And one of the things that they've done is offering a $19.99 per month Lyft Pink readers riders will get 15% savings on all car rides. Priority airport pickup? I like that. You ever been in an airport trying to get an Uber or Lyft and you're like, dang it, let's just take a cab kind of thing? It's happened once or twice. Uh, you'll get more relaxed cancellations, surprise officer office offers, and such, much, much, much more. Generally, like seasonal discounts are their surprise offers. Maybe exclusive savings on other product. Like if you take a lift to the San Francisco 49ers game this weekend, we'll give you a free bucket of popcorn or a big foam finger. Um, yeah, so I had to kind of get in touch with what is Lyft Pink or what is this product? Um, so if you hit all of these or most of them, then the credit card's probably still worth it. But it, it is a big question now. It becomes a bigger question. So, and again, if you like those perks, I think that's also kind of a, a thing because there's so many different types of credit cards out there. Real quick, changing topics. Um, I want to talk about being, if you were born in North Korea, sometimes I say, I feel like I hit the lottery because I was born in the United States on a coast. Um, I wasn't born in a small town in the middle of the country. I would probably be still be in that small town is my assumption but because I was born in the United States with a college-educated father, he wanted me to go to college, and he got to travel around the world and, and change, not change jobs, but change cities often. If you were born, unluckily, into North Korea's population, there's 25 million people there. You've been under the Kim dynasty for 70 years. The average worker takes home $2,000 a year and is undernourished. Citizens can pay $12,000 to defect, but if you're only making $2,000, it's surprising like how bad some economies are. More than 40% of North Koreans are undernourished. Virtually nobody uses the internet. Uh, they've got tons of minerals, but they don't have the technology to get into their own ground to get those minerals out. Uh, Kim Jong... The second spent $800,000 a year on Hennessy. I have been known to like a drink or two, but I could never, ever, ever justify spending $800,000 a year on said Hennessy. In the 1990s, he was the biggest buyer of Hennessy Paradis. <laughs> See what I mean? Like sometimes it's you're lucky about where you live. Now, one of the things I like about the United States is we got laws and structures, kind of. We got laws and structures that sometimes help us, like get to retirement. Congress stung many savers when it curtailed the tax benefits of the so-called stretch IRAs. Chad used to love the stretch IRA. Do you know how many times I'd be at a seminar and he'd talk about the stretch IRA? The revision to stretch IRAs, substantial benefits make it a good time to consider other retirement breaks at risk of being trimmed by Congress. So the tax law is constantly changing. I'm not a big fan of our tax law. I'm not a nut. I'm not a conspiracy theory. I, I just feels like it's a system they just keep adding pages to every year. It, it feels like it's not 
fixing it. It just makes it more complicated. But proponents of the new limits on stretched IRAs justified them by saying that IRAs should be mainly for owners and their spouses, not for wealth transfers to younger heirs. I get it. But Congress could change, like they could end backdoor Roth IRAs. You hear Chad talk about this all the time. It lets people who exceed the income levels for contributing to a Roth IRA, they can put up to 6000 plus 1000 more if age 50 or more of after-tax dollars into a non-deductible traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth. That could go away. They could suddenly change the payouts for Roth IRAs. Current law requires annual withdrawals from traditional IRAs for savers who are 72 or older, but it doesn't require them for Roth IRA owners. Kind of a way of stopping people from dumping so much money on their children when they die. It's worthy of note that changes could happen because that's why I do the show. It's not as easy as I need a million dollars to get to retirement. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. TikTok is one of those tech companies that I didn't get in on. I didn't start using it. I didn't start playing with it. I don't have an idea how to to explain it in a financial manner. But it is a wildly popular short video service. Stock, not stock, the company's revenues are on fire. Generated about $176 million in revenue in 2019. Um, that's pretty good. Um, it's total in life since it's become a platform is about 250 million. So last year, 176 million. So last year they really figured out how to pull revenue in on it. In the fourth quarter of the year, TikTok pulled in 89 million up two times from the third quarter and up six times year over year. So the momentum is blistering. China accounted for 69% of the company's 2019 revenue. So it's, an ex- it's exposure to the Chinese consumer. Do you see how I'm starting to build a case? But it also has international exposure. TikTok is operated by who? A company called ByteDance. Who? Like Computer Byte, B-Y-T-E, BitDance, if you will. It's worth more than any other current venture-backed private company. It's got a valuation of about $75 billion. So it's kind of got that unicorn valuation. It's magical. But it also has blistering revenue growth. So I got to do a little bit more work on the company, and I got to do a lot more work on their, their labor costs. But the U.S. Army and Navy late last year banned the use of TikTok on government-issued phones on the grounds that the service is considered a cyber threat because it's based in China. So they can put an app on your phone, TikTok. Potentially, there could be worms or bugs inside of it that can, you know, ferret through all your data and send it back to the, the premier of China so that he can rule the world. I kind of hope that's not happening because then... It turns a wonderfully delicious thought into a, uh uh-oh. 
since their tower is a company that rates app usage, and they say the app was downloaded by more than 738 million times last year. Not people, but 738 million times. Um, it's These are big numbers. The valuation looks big. The usability, the revenue... According to Sensor Tower, TikTok was the number two app on both Apple App Store and the Google Play Store last year. Is that so? Now, I suddenly am shifting my position. I kind of want the worms and the tentacles inside the app, and we're giving all of our information away. The only app that got more downloads last year than TikTok in the Apple and Google Store was WhatsApp. WhatsApp! So, ByteDance, or BitDance, was considered an IPO in 2020. In Hong Kong, the company has denied having any such plan. The scrutiny last year was over the proposed WeWork stock offering. And some companies like SoftBank, you know, who is an investor in BitDance, they're a little gun-shy right now. I think that's fair to say. Um, I get it. Piper Sandler predicts the chip sector will thrive in 2020. That's this year. We're only a half month through it. 2020 appears to be a major recovery year for the semiconductor market. Inventory levels are low across the board, and with a soothing trade narrative, we expect a strong pickup in demand. Okay, okay. So they're saying the backdrop's good. I kind of agree with that. Inventory levels are important especially in technology semiconductor companies. Because what chip you have today, like the Snapdragon 550 will be replaced by the Snapdragon 600, will be replaced by the Snapdragon 650. The Intel Pentium 1 will be replaced by the Intel Pentium 2. So if you have the old 1, no one wants that. So inventory is important because smaller, cheaper, faster is the name of the game in technology. So this year's chip, it's like a brand new car. It depreciates a lot in the first year because we want more technology packed into it next year. So the analyst says, here's my three favorite stocks for 2020. And I kind of like his his vision here, but you still have to do a lot of work after you hear something like this. They have a $270 price target on NVIDIA. Gaming is back in growth mode and set to grow in double-digit range in calendar 2020. We do not see AMD gaining much share in 2020, as NVIDIA is known as the must-have gaming card, according to Piper Sandler. $275 stock price on that one. It's currently at $245. That's not a huge move, but after last year's huge move, it's a good move. NXP Semiconductors, a company you may not be familiar with, but if you're driving your car, toot, toot, yeah, beep, beep. There's semiconductors in your horn. There's semiconductors in your turn signals. There's semiconductors everywhere in your car. And NXP semiconductors is to automobiles what Intel is to desktop computers. So the automotive, and it's getting crazier. The technologies that they're trying to build into our car, I like it. I like it a lot. But it's going to be more semiconductors and more demand from them. Can't be driving and have your car shut off. Or can't be driving and have your car shift into a four-wheel drive at the wrong time. 
So their price target on that one, oh, by the way, they've got about 50% of their company sales to auto industry, and it's got a cheap valuation, and they have a $150 price target on it. It's currently at 132 So none of these price targets are really exciting me, which is okay. Investing should be boring on occasion. But I could start writing these names down in my head and or on paper and start thinking about some of the thesis they're trying to say in a three-sentence blurb. Not enough for me, but it's it's a good start to smell something different maybe or to remember, oh, I forgot about NXP. Weren't they going to be acquired by Qualcomm? They were, but then Qualcomm won their case with Apple, and everyone's happy. Piper Sandler also has a a love for a company called Macom Technology Solutions. They make wireless infrastructure chips. It's going to be a big business. It's going to be one of the best turnaround stories in the industry. Uh-oh. When you start saying turnaround, that, that word, Warren Buffett has taught me a phrase that pays. Turnarounds suddenly turn. Therefore, I'm cognizant of that. I'll still approach the stock and say, okay, your wireless infrastructure? You don't have to have a relationship with Apple? No, no, no. We, we build the base stations and the semiconductors that go in that kind of thing. The servers and the routers. and Anyway. Walmart is letting out a little secret today. They're saying they've they've shuffled their executive team. Now, it doesn't take a lot to go, okay, it's January. Wasn't this executive team just in place for that strategic Christmas shopping season? Interesting, right? Do you see the writing there? Target had a disappointing holiday season. Amazon said it had a record, though it didn't disclose exact figures. Walmart, we haven't heard their report yet. So, in my guess, it's probably saying, and again, this is just a guess, it's probably saying the Christmas season wasn't that great. At least that's the message it's sending. Job openings in the United States, a much-looked-upon economic statistic that the average consumer doesn't really ever get to. Job openings fell by 561,000 in November to 6.8 million. That's the lowest since February. Total vacancies still exceed the unemployed by nearly 1 million. Total vacancies, um, about 6.2, 6.3 million. Despite the big drop, openings still outnumber Americans considered unemployed. Vacancy rate nudged down to 4.3%. So <clears throat> there's jobs out there for the unemployed. Can, we, can the employer find the employee? Common sense should tell you that, indeed, after an 11-year run of economic growth, that a lot of companies have hired all the help they need for now. So the sharp reduction in jobs is interesting, and it may be telling us that the economy has finally reached full employment. It's a magical term that economists use. Somewhere between 4 and 6% used to be a, an acceptable unemployment rate. 4% was considered a little bit too hot. 6%... Unemployment was considered a little bit too cold. At 4%, the ability for you to tell your boss, take this job and shove it, and he's like, oh, no. I've seen the resumes of the people out there, and it's we, we are not going to be able to replace this person. Everyone's replaceable, even me. Uh, so the JOLTS report's kind of interesting. And again, it's telling you that things probably won't get much better. 
as far as jobs go. Jobs are tend to be created when companies see revenue opportunities. 800-516-1220. Teach calls on the air. Google, publicly traded company, Alphabet. In the news. 13-digit market capital valuation. Wow. $1 trillion company. One analyst says it still has upside. Um, 8% for the year after up 28% last year. Okay. Can't get excited by that, but I'll read the research on it. We'll talk about it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up in early February in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Great parking, easy to get to. Thursday evening, sign up at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Crypto terrorism funding grows. I saw this on the Bloomberg yesterday, and I was like, that's fascinating. Please tell me more. Terrorists called crypto donations worth tens of thousands of dollars in just one campaign last year. Um, The campaigns collect tons of money. Uh, Not going away. So... It's kind of funny, right? When you start looking at the security of our computers, it hasn't really improved that much, it looks like, in the last 40 years. Or maybe everyone's just getting better at it. Uh, but do you remember McAfee? The old, the very first virus scanner, maybe, that you ever had? Go back and look at that, and you'd be like, ooh, that's brutal. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Peacock is doing something interesting, and I don't know how I feel about this yet. Because I have to see it in action. Like, I saw Disney Plus in action. I have Verizon. They gave me a free year. Their interface not as good as Netflix's. Or Netflix eyes. Or Netflix soul mixels. Um, so, Disney has a bit of an issue there. In my opinion. Um, not bad. They can catch them. So, but same thing with NBC Universal. With Peacock, they're going to be killing the commercials. They're going to give you a, for $5 a month version or for $10 a month version of killing the commercials. How much are you worth? I think we're going to learn more and more of that in the future. And I think we're going to see a company within 10 years, probably five, do something like pay you to use their service. So think of it like Facebook Pro or Facebook. Facebook serves you ads. Facebook Pro pays you, but they demand a lot more information from you. One of the big concerns out there is 10-year run in the economy. And the data that we have as of January 2020 says that we're going to go 11 years, unless there's some shock to the system. Investors enter 2020 with the financial markets heading higher, melting higher every day, fighting higher, going higher. There was that very short, or I would say maybe latest flare-up, or was it a short flare-up? But we've had a bad relationship with Iran, and it just reminds us that there's geopolitical risks. But it appears to be a very small one. So when asked a group of economists and investment officers if they see a recession, no one sees a recession coming. Now, what's interesting about that is... 
economists aren't good at predicting recessions. What they're good at is sometimes saying, oh, it looks like 2021. But we were saying that in 2019. It looks like 2020. Too many jobs right now. Too many people have jobs in the United States. And because of that, and again, that's not a bad thing. I just made that sound like a bad thing. I feel so bad. Too many jobs. But because people have jobs, whether they're getting proper wages or not, is not my thing to pass on here. It's, to me, it's too many jobs equals good economy. Or at least employers saying we need to put people's butts in the seat. Um, so that's out there. One thing that I don't do, I, I, I see no recession in 2020, but again, usually we don't see them coming. I see no bear market, 30% down. I don't see it. But we tend not to see it coming, and it happens fast. Um, one thing that I don't do, because sometimes this is important to learn what you are as an investor and what you are not, I'm not a technician. I've never, never, ever, never, ever met a technician worth a million dollars who did it just by using his technicals to buy and sell stocks. I've seen people make a million dollars by selling you a trading academies on, do you want to trade like a professional? Of course you do. $4,000. I'll teach you how to trade. Got to be very cautious of that. I've never met a technician worth a million dollars who did it off his technical calls. One of the most famous technicians of all time was a woman named Elaine Garzarelli. She hit the market perfectly when she said, market looks overvalued at the end of late 1999, right before 2000's big correction on tech stocks. Genius call. Genius call. If you listened to her and got completely out of the market, it was bad from 2000, 2001, 2002. She's your goddess, but was she ever good before or after that call? And the answer is not as. So if you had listened to her calls before, you wouldn't have had as much money. And if you listened to her calls since, you wouldn't have as corrective a call and as much money protected from a down market. Um, and I've never seen anyone be good at saying, now is the time to buy the stock market. Well, actually, maybe on valuation. That's a you know a, continue, a continuous debate right now is when the market's at eighteen and a half times earnings, it feels really pricey. When it's at twelve times, it feels like a lot of value. Doesn't mean it can't go higher than eighteen and a half. Doesn't mean it can't go lower than twelve. But those are kind of like the yardsticks. Wow, I haven't used the word yardstick in a while. Do you remember yardsticks in elementary school, where you would have to go up to the chalkboard? and draw a straight line or something like that. I don't know. I haven't seen one in a long time is what I'm saying. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about all the transport stocks are getting hit today. That is a bad sign for the stock market. Southwest Airlines, Kansas City Southern, CSX, C.H. Robinson, J.B. Hunt, Expeditors International. All of them are a little bit weaker today. Kansas City Southern is slightly warmer, slightly hotter, but... If that is a prediction on the next six months, you should see a slowdown. This is a tough market to call right now. Tough economy to, to peg. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up in February. Sign up at robblackshow.com.